Welcome to PD Heart Pediatric Cardiology Today. My name is Dr. Robert Pass. I am the host of this program, and I am professor of pediatrics at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Thank you so much for spending your time with me this week in this, our 12th episode of the podcast. I'm excited to announce that we have just reached our 5,000th download of the podcast. I'm quite excited to hear how much people are finding this podcast to be of value to them. Thank you so very much for listening to this work each week. It makes me feel as if this is a worthwhile endeavor. I also wish to thank all of my many guests who've been so kind as to give of their time and be on this podcast. The contributions of the guests of this show have been very important to elevate the level of discussion and provide insight into the various papers that we have reviewed so far, and I look forward to bringing to the audience many more experts throughout the world to provide their insights into the latest cutting-edge aspects of our field of pediatric cardiovascular medicine. So again, thank you so much to all of my guests. If anyone would like to communicate with me directly, it's easy to remember my email. It's pdheart at gmail.com. If you have a moment, please leave a review at iTunes as all the reviews help improve the visibility of this program. Thanks very much. This week, we'll have a somewhat different sort of podcast as I will not be reviewing any particular articles. We'll be speaking for the entire podcast with Dr. Anthony Chang. Anthony, probably better than anybody else in our field, can be called a true Renaissance man. Most of us know Anthony because of his well-established reputation in the field of cardiac intensive care, and he's worked at some of the finest institutions in the United States in this area. But today we're going to be calling on this Renaissance man's knowledge of an entirely different area, specifically the area of artificial intelligence. Some of you may not be aware that despite all the various degrees that Anthony has, he has also recently obtained a master's degree in this area of interest, which is artificial intelligence. Obviously, this is a gigantic topic and an area of great interest to all areas, not only medicine. And when Anthony suggested and offered the opportunity for us to speak directly with him about this topic, I could not have said yes faster. Anthony is actually the author of a book on this topic and also runs an annual course on this area, which has scientific research as part of its core mission. As many of you may know, artificial intelligence is potentially a game changer for all areas in the world today, but there are some concerns about it. The great Stephen Hawking once wrote, the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race. It would take off on its own and redesign itself at an ever-increasing rate. Humans who are limited by slow biological evolution couldn't compete and would be superseded. Others, such as Elon Musk, have also issued similar warnings. But far from being afraid of artificial intelligence, I think we will learn today how much we need to embrace it because it will help the lives of our patients in ways that we cannot even imagine. And also, by the way, help the lives of us, the cardiovascular providers. And I am very excited to have him join us today to discuss this extremely interesting and innovative topic. So, Anthony, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the program today. Everybody is so excited to have you here to speak with us about this extremely interesting topic. Yeah, I'm very uh, excited also to be talking about artificial intelligence. I think in pediatric cardiology, it's going to be an amazing Well, you know, Anthony, uh, before we get going, I was wondering if you might be able to give the audience a layman's definition of artificial intelligence, and what does it mean in medicine in particular? Well, I feel like 
Marvin Minsky, who is an uh, uh, American computer scientist who coined it, who helped to coin the term. And uh, he said uh, artificial intelligence is anything, any endeavor that can be done by a machine that normally would require intelligence of a human being. So I'm sort of paraphrasing a little bit, but I, in, in that sense, it's a, the simplest definition I've been able to find. Sure. I think it's also one of the best. When I was reading a little bit about artificial intelligence, it seemed to me that maybe medicine was somehow a little bit behind certain other fields of endeavor. Is, is, that, is that true or not? Yes. It's, um, well, it's true to a certain extent. I think it's not just a little bit behind, but I think it's like one, it's probably two decades behind. Some of the uh, other sectors have been able to use analytics and machine learning to a, a much uh, larger extent than medicine. So medicine is, is just about the last large sector in society to take advantage of artificial intelligence. I see. Well, you know, I, reading some of the literature, I see the term big data is often used. And I was wondering, you know, what what this meant and how it is that in medicine we're going to be able to harness this data. Well, big data has like artificial intelligence, a number of definitions. But for me, I try to simplify these concepts. And big data to me means data large enough that you can't use traditional means of statistical analysis like Excel spreadsheets or just involve statistical regression. So anything, any amount of data that becomes big enough that a typical statistical package can't handle in terms of analytics is, is in my mind, big data. I see. And um, it seems to me like one of the big issues with big data is simply that in medicine, I, I think I was reading in one of your works that medicine comprises something like a third of all the data in the world. Is that, is that about right? That's about right. And um, it's also the different characteristics, interesting characteristics, characteristics about medical data. One is most of the medical data, particularly medical imaging, Yes. Was Sort of synthesized in the last three to five years, and also um, the other interesting factoid is that something that's a little bit different than some other fields, like sports or finance, most of the medical data is unstructured, so it doesn't have a, a reasonable format for computers to easily analyze the, the data to, to make it information, which then can be made into knowledge and then ultimately intelligence. So if you look at this as um, a pyramid with the bottom layer being data, it goes up the pyramid as data, from data to information to knowledge and then finally to intelligence. Yes. So most of the data, which is the most important foundation of artificial intelligence in healthcare is unfortunately very fragmented, very disorganized, heterogeneous and very incomplete. So one of the major takeaways I think I got from four long years of education at Stanford yes. in data science is that we do a lousy job in healthcare providing data for our data scientists colleagues to work on. So we need to do a much better job as clinicians to because um, we have influence over data. Sure. Even if, we know, even if we know nothing about data science, we can do a better job getting data collected and organized and uh, basically uh, make it easier for our data scientists. Well, I mean, I think 
uh, Anthony, part of the problem to me is is the difficulty with the EMR systems. Is there anything coming down the road that you think is going to make it easier? I have to be honest with you that when I write a note in outpatient clinic, I often will just cut and paste things, and I realize this is creating data that is completely unretrievable. Um, even yeah. though even though the Epic EMR has a system where you could use clicks and pull-downs, it's so complicated that in practice, a lot of my colleagues don't do that. Um, is, is there work in that area going on now? There, there is exciting work in that area because I think people are realizing that data is... I always say, um, try to be clever about this, I said at a meeting a few years ago, I said, it's the data stupid, you know, it's all about the data, not about artificial intelligence. AI is actually maybe a decade ahead of schedule. So the AI is actually pretty robust. It's the data that's the problem in healthcare. So totally agree with you. Everyone feels the burden of electronic records. Personally, I have in my cardiology division human scribe to help uh, litigate the burden in a big way. And what you notice is that the notes are better, more complete, and guess what? The doctor's a lot happier and the productivity goes up 30% across the board. So the so human scribe, before we get really sophisticated with technology that can take place of the traditional uh, dictation service, before that happens in the next five years or so, a human scribe could be a potential solution, especially so- for, I think, the extra cardiologist, because we are actually in a great position to reconfigure our work if we're freed up on the electronic record, which not all the subspecialists can do. So, so I think in the next five to ten years, and I'm part of a research team working on this, which is take exactly what occurs in the in the uh, clinic and auto-populate as well as extract the information from the, the speaking, verbal communication between the clinician and the patient. So it's going to be very exciting in the next five to ten years. Now that... That that, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say that, though, would require that the machine could understand language. And it's my understanding that's one of the more difficult tasks of science, data scientists in terms of working on artificial intelligence. Is, is that right? Well, it is one of the more difficult, but it's also one of the most exciting new areas. It's not just natural language processing, NLP, which is part of the portfolio of capabilities of Um, in our cardiology division, we actually have human scribes, so 
I actually never touch a computer uh, during the entire patient-clinician interaction. I have to say I enjoy it incredibly, um, just basically being patient and socially interacting with them. And not have to worry about the electronic record until I'm ready to sign the notes at the end of the day. Now, do, do the patient families, uh, they accept like a stranger standing there? It seems unusual to me, but I guess they must just get used to it as just a normal part of the visit. Great question. They totally accept it knowing that they're going to have a valuable 12 to 15 or however many minutes that's totally without distraction from me. I myself, and maybe you also, uh, Robert, when you see your doctor, here uh, there's also um, a lot of times that physician is tapping on the computer. Yeah. And you really, really wonder if he or she is really hearing you. And I actually let go of my primary care physician because I felt like 89% of the time he was just doing busy work on the computer at my expense. And, um, and the, that, the basic satisfaction, by the way, Robert, with this sort of half-human, half-technology uh, solution to giving the doctors more sort of time in the clinic without distraction is way up. So um, the patients want it, the doctors are happy, the notes are much better. So I'm just trying to transition that human doing the work into hopefully someday soon the technology and the machine intelligence can do the work as well. But we're about three and five years from that, I think. It's so interesting to me that the humans in this circumstance are actually helping the computer <laughs> with the yeah, expectation because, that maybe in the future the computer will help the humans. <laughs> well, um, as the Stanford professor Lee Fei Fei said about artificial intelligence in the New York Times editorial recently, we're up at, um, there's nothing artificial about artificial intelligence. It's all human-driven, human-inspired, human-designed. Uh, so, um, because we ultimately basically configure the computer I see. You know, I I was just uh, you know reading some of the work on this. I was thinking about a system that recently was um, uh, advertised in our hospital. I think you may have familiarity with it, the etiometry system, which is this um, mech, this way of displaying vital signs in the intensive care unit, which I know is an area of great interest for you, being that you're a very famous intensivist. And the thing that I that struck me about it when I when they first started talking to us about it I thought wow this is a great technology because I thought there was going to be artificial intelligence built into the system. In other words I I thought that the system was going to say well if the number hits 12 you should be more nervous about what's going on with your patient and yet it did they didn't really have that that component was sort of missing from the system. Do you think that that type of technology is coming soon? Yeah, I think there I think, um, in fairness to etiometry, I think they're on the cusp of giving you what every ICU doctor wants, which is uh, an early warning system that's reliable and that doesn't tire like human doctors do. And I think they, I think it's the, the potential is so high that it's there. It just needs to be, I think, more uh, clinician-friendly so that anyone can use it. And 
I'm actually very involved with that project, and we will we will make it so that it's very user friendly and very obvious to anybody walking by the bedside what the um, real time analytics are saying. So that's essentially what it is: a very potent real time analytic tool that I think still is uh, a work in progress, but it's an excellent tool for the future thinking I can use after sure. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me like. If that type of technology could essentially put an Anthony Chang at the bedside of any patient in any ICU, that would be a remarkable achievement. You would, you know, to sort of essentially create that type of expertise or expand it to people who may not have that expertise. That, to me, seems to be the great, uh, you know, potential gains of something like that. Thank you for the compliment, <laughs> but um, I think I'm always as big an advocate as I am for artificial intelligence. I'm also the first to say, one, um, we need we, we need to really pump on the brakes and not hype uh, artificial intelligence as it's being done in, in radiology right now with deep learning and medical image interpretation. Uh, because I'm afraid that, like uh, previous uh, artificial intelligence winters, what happened was the expectations were outmatched by, were not met by what the dividends actually came around. So, I think artificial intelligence has a lot to offer, but I think it's going to be harder than most people think when we talk about delivering real, you know, hardcore uh, dividends from um, this amazing data science. So I think it's going to be behoove us to be patient, to wait for the really valuable uh, assets that we're going to have eventually, and at the same time, as a uh, a group that will benefit from this new dimension that uh, it also means that we all have to learn uh, about what the capabilities are and also work much more intimately with computer and data scientists than we've ever had before. Yeah, I think that seems pretty clear because unless we can provide the data to the data scientists the way they want to see it, I, none of this is really going to work, is it? No, and I think it's going to be a tremendously exciting couple of decades uh, as we evolve in from uh, deep learning, which is all the hype right now. matter of fact, it's even starting to come down on the hype cycle, I think, um, which I'm glad about because um, artificial intelligence is so much more than uh, deep learning, which is getting all the attention right now. But second wave um, is the deep learning after the first wave, which was more about programming. So the upcoming third wave is going to be all about what we call cognitive architecture, which is mainly cognitive computing, or putting some ways for machines and computers to think more like human clinicians than to just simply rely on pattern recognition of deep learning. So I think the third and final wave of artificial intelligence in the next decade or two is going to be by far the most exciting and the most rewarding. We just have to be um, uh, very, very patient with this new dimension. Well, let me ask you, I, I know you're a busy guy, Anthony. I don't want to take up a whole lot more of your time. It's so kind of you to be on the show. I, I was going to ask you uh, really just two more questions. When do you think that our workflow is going to be meaningfully impacted by these technologies? You have your finger on this uh technology, on the pulse of this technology more than anybody else. Um, when, when do you think we're going to be uh, using this type of technology on a fairly regular basis uh, in our general practice? Do you think it's a five-year pattern, 10? What, what do you, what's your thoughts on that? Great question. And I think as cardiologists, we have total control over that timeline because I think 
think the more people that become interested or at least intrigued by this new technology, the faster we'll get there. So um, it's already impacting radiologists in a very big way. You went to their last big meeting last year. So many um, papers and so much of the discussion was already focused on deep learning as a artificial intelligence tool to help radiologists to detect things that their human eyes are either tired or just not experienced enough to pick up. So basically giving the radiologist a different lens and that how I would like like um, us to look at artificial intelligence is pretend you have a different lens to look at things in, in medicine. I think a lot of things in pediatric cardiology particularly will be exciting going from you know, making the mundane workload why one of the things that we're working on right now is selecting patients that would be candidates for uh, synergist vaccination, for instance. It's often a pain because you have to go through your patient list and select out the patient. What if that was done automatically for you? Right. You just set the criteria. So something as mundane as that to, I think, within a decade of having automated interpretation of even complex congenital heart disease that are done by ultrasound. So our echoes can be interpreted automatically, and our job would be to have oversight over that or add or subtract or look at things a little bit differently. But imagine five to ten years from now, just like the way we're looking at EKG now, EKG is now where a lot of things are read with a reasonable amount of accuracy. Um, That's going to happen with our medical imaging as well from MRI to echo, to um, CT, because we're very image-intensive as a subspecialty. Sure. Um, I see that as a, as a very significant contribution to uh, mitigating our, our daily burden of work. Yeah, well, I... Uh I guess that uh, there'll always be work for the Tal Gavas and Ira Parnesses of the world. But um, again, I think this type of technology, it sounds like uh, some of their quality can be expanded and, you know, to centers that don't have uh, the luck of having gentlemen like that, uh, doctors like that on their staff. With our last remaining seconds, uh, Anthony, I'm sure you're very familiar with this concept of singularity, which I guess is this this point in time when computers will be presumably smarter than humans. Um, and, you know, there's all kinds of, uh, you don't have the access to the beginning of my podcast today, in, but in my introduction, I gave one of these very fearful quotes by Stephen Hawking about the end of the world because of the rise of the machines. But I, I guess in our remaining moments, um, I, I would make the argument that this is something we should really embrace, but I was wondering, is there anything we should be fearful about this, or should we really be thrilled about the oncoming of artificial intelligence for our lives and those of our patients? Well, um, I think we should do both. I think we should really embrace this new technology as something extraordinary that we're lucky to see in our uh, lifetime and careers, and to actually see it in its application in the next within the next few years. I think at the same time, I don't think we should be overly fearful. You know, the, the layman uh, sort of um, nightmarish vision of robots taking over our jobs or our lives or even worse, um, you know, um, being the, the evil um, robot that we see and stuff. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I think we do have to be 
careful about implementation as well as execution of some of the machine intelligence projects because what I'm more afraid of is bias being built into the algorithm or we uh, as cardiologists getting more passive as a subspecialty because so much is being done automatically. And you need to see that in some of our colleagues, particularly the younger ones, they're no longer truly understanding some aspects of cardiology and relying on, you know, surfing for terms. And it's almost, you know, word association rather than a true deep understanding of what an amazing field it is. So um, yeah. I think I'm more concerned about the intellectual deterioration, much more about, um, much, much more than uh, some of the other aspects of, uh, of what AI can do. Right. Well, that's a very insightful comment you've made. You know, in our last remaining seconds, Anthony, I know that you actually have a course, uh, a meeting each year on AI. Would you like to tell the uh, audience about that course, when it's occurring, and uh, where it is, et cetera, any information? Sure. Um, well, I was inspired by my uh, mentors at Stanford and how much they taught me, so I thought it wouldn't be wonderful if we can compress four years of long education into three days, including some workshops. So the meeting is called um, Aptly Artificial Intelligence in Medicine, or AI Med for short. And uh, actually, I see quite a few of our pediatric cardiology or and I see a few colleagues there. Uh, it's, it's every September in California. This year will be December 12th and 15th. And uh, it's basically the all-star cast of artificial intelligence and medicine in one place. Uh, we had over 60 speakers and close to 600 attendees last year. Um, what's nice about this meeting is uh, it's truly multidisciplinary. So we have about 40% clinicians, 30 to 40% um, data and computer scientists, and about 20-25% uh, hospital employees uh, in the administration sector. So, and, and then some investors as well. So it's a wonderful blend of people um, that you normally wouldn't meet at a medical meeting, um, and also across subspecialty, adult and pediatric. So I think it's a um, wonderful three day three days worth of brain food for about artificial intelligence. And um, we assume that you don't have a, a deep level of knowledge, so all all the discussions keep them. Do keep in mind that there are a lot of clinicians who are not well-versed in artificial intelligence. I see. Well, that sounds very interesting, and uh, I'm sure that there are people listening to this podcast today who will be very interested and probably will go online and see about maybe uh, getting uh, a ticket to come. I really can't thank you enough, Anthony, for being on the show today. I know that everybody is going to be very excited to hear all the cool things that we've been discussing today. And uh, I know that I'm going to be keeping my eye peeled in the literature to see all of your latest uh, innovations in this area. Thank you. By the way, um, the website with all the information about the meetings as well as our bi-monthly magazine on this topic is ai med med.io uh, so ai is the website it has everything and anything you could possibly need and want to know about artificial intelligence well thank you so very much for being on the show today Anthony uh, you've really enlightened the audience and uh, I look forward hopefully we'll be able to talk again perhaps on something a little more mundane like pediatric cardiac critical care 
Thank you, Robert. All right. I hope that everybody enjoyed this brief conversation with Dr. Chang, who really is a leader in this very unusual and interesting area of endeavor. There were a number of interesting aspects to our conversation. To me, one of the most interesting was the fact that Dr. Chang is presently using human beings in order to obtain data and properly input it into the medical record systems. Although this may seem somewhat space-aged, actually it seems like it has markedly enhanced his ability to communicate with patients and create that bond with the patient that many of us feel has been eroded in recent years with all of the electronic equipment that we're forced to use on a daily basis. I thought it was also interesting that Dr. Chang's big concern is the lack of clinical skills amongst young physicians and the fact that technology may be negatively impacting physicians' clinical skills because of an over-reliance on technology. This is not the type of thought one would normally associate with an expert in something as high-tech as artificial intelligence. But that's what makes Dr. Chang so wonderful. In addition to knowing so much about this highly technical field, in the end, at his core, he is a clinician and that is his number one goal, taking good care of our patients. It seems pretty clear that one of the biggest problems for us in medicine and the utilization of this type of technology is the difficulty we're going to have in getting the actual data into the computers so that it can be used in a meaningful way. However, with technologies such as machine learning, as well as improvements in our ability to enter the data in a more easy fashion to computers, I do think that the day is coming soon when artificial intelligence will be an important tool to help us take care of our patients and perhaps even take care of the doctors, nurses, and all the other many professionals who work together as a team to provide outstanding care to our young patients with congenital heart disease. I hope that you, like me, are excited by the future from this brief discussion with Dr. Chang. If I've learned anything from today's discussion in regards to artificial intelligence, I think it's quite clear to say that we ain't seen nothing yet. To conclude this, our 12th episode of the podcast, Petey Heart, I thought I'd play for you today a brief aria sung by the great American soprano Beverly Sills. Miss Sills was something of a pioneer in the world of opera in that she was one of the first fully American-trained opera stars in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. Oddly enough, there was a prejudice against opera singers who were fully trained in the United States and not in Europe at that time. Miss Sills also had to fight against prejudice as she was a Jewish American, and this was also obviously a great barrier above which she had to struggle. And yet, despite these prejudices... Ms. Sills triumphed with her great virtuosity. Today we'll be hearing her sing the aria The Willow Song from the opera The Ballad of Baby Doe, written by the American composer Douglas Moore. Mr. Moore actually wrote this part exclusively and specifically for Miss Sills, and today we'll be hearing her sing that wonderful aria for which she was well known. Thank you so much for joining me for this, the 12th episode of PD Heart, Pediatric Cardiology Today, and I look forward to seeing you next week for our next episode. <laughs>